Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. Logically, we may feel we shouldn't be so concerned about appearances, but we are human after all, and how we look can sometimes feel wrapped up in who we are. Consider our example here today, abdominal contour or shape after pregnancies. It's not something that can really be controlled or predicted. And when you couple insecurities about appearance with functional problems related to diastasis or permanent muscle issues, that can be double incentive to seek out help. Yes, what a person is left with after pregnancy can be a source of frustration and even embarrassment, maybe a floppy pooch that no amount of exercise will correct. How many times have you heard about a woman who is asked when she's due, months or years after she already delivered her baby? Well, today we have accomplished plastic surgeon Dr. Ahmed Suleiman with us to explain where the problems come from and what can realistically be done to improve or restore abdominal contour. Plus, he'll tell the story of two sisters who went through these difficulties after their pregnancies and whom he was successfully able to treat. How has their life changed? Let's join that conversation now. Well, today we are lucky to have with us Dr. Ahmed Suleiman, who is a board-certified plastic surgeon out of San Diego and a clinical professor at the University of California at San Diego. He's also chief of plastic surgery at the San Diego Veterans Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Suleiman. Well, thank you very much for inviting me to be on this podcast. Great. Well, I'm so happy you could. Hey, and would you, for the listeners, please describe kind of the scope or breadth of your practice in San Diego Do you treat all areas of the body, and are you strictly cosmetic or aesthetic in terms of surgery, or do some reconstructive as well? Well, my practice is 70% reconstructive and 30% cosmetic. My unique approach is blending both reconstructive and cosmetic principles to achieve the best results for patients. I essentially treat all parts of the body with a particular emphasis on body contouring. I love that uh, philosophy you have of really blending the cosmetic and the reconstructive approach because that's so helpful for so many people. So that's wonderful. Um, Well, you know, you came on my radar because of this wonderful short video series that the Aesthetic Society has put out. And by the way, the Aesthetic Society is a membership representing board-certified aesthetic plastic surgeons. Um, And the video series was called Beyond the Before and After. And episode number six was entitled Renewed Strength Post-Childbirth. And it featured two sisters, Joy and Erica, upon whom you operated to restore their abdominal contour after multiple childbirths. 
And by the way, listeners can find that series at theaestheticsociety.org. That's T-H-E-A-E-S-T-H-E-T-I-C-S-O-C-I-E-T-Y.org. And we'll be talking more about them later. Before we go into what you did to treat them and help their problem, could you first explain what rectus diastasis is? And sometimes we just call it diastasis. What does it look like and why or how does it happen with pregnancy? Okay. Well, you sort of have to understand the anatomy of the uh, abdominal wall. Um, the abdominal wall is intricately composed of many muscles that function together to not only keep your organs inside, but they also help coordinate movement, such as getting out of bed and exercising, doing your daily activities, and also help in breathing and things such as defecating or urinating. These muscles really help coordinate almost essentially every movement you do, and they also help your core strength. And we don't appreciate what those abdominal muscles do till something goes wrong. Yeah. And when people ask me about how this diastasis recti sort of manifest, I say, you know, when you go to the gym and you see people working out their abdominal muscles, you note some very well-developed muscles to contribute to what we know as the six-pack. These muscles give you strength. They aid in a lot of your day-to-day functions, such as getting out of bed, doing sit-ups or surfing, for example. The biggest contributor of the abdominal wall muscles is these two paired muscles called the rectus abdominis muscles. When these muscles function harmoniously, we never think about them until there's a problem. The two most common problems are hernia, which is kind of a separate entity, but a diastasis is where the rectus muscles separate. And instead of having one centimeter of fascia between them, they get stretched out almost like an elastic band on your pants. And once that happens, the core muscles don't function as they do normally. They kind of separate from each other. And because of that, they can't really provide as much support is what you're saying, it sounds like. That's correct. They cause an imbalance, almost Mm -hmm. like that stretched out elastic on your pants where it's not really functioning. And so the muscles get weak, they get separated by two, three, four, five centimeters, and they cause problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest risk factor for diastasis is actually pregnancy. So diastasis happens in men and women, but we see it a lot more frequently in women after childbearing. And in women, they've had multiple, multiple children. Mm-hmm. Well, so as you say, if it's severe enough, uh, it can lead to problems. You've described some of those problems, but what other problems might we worry that patients could develop? Uh, Is pain an issue for some people? Yeah, usually when you develop that lack of core strength, you get lower back pain, Mm -hmm. you tend to fatigue very easy with activity. So you may be jogging or lifting groceries and the muscles kind of get weak and and worn really quickly. Because the muscles are out of balance, they're not as strong as they, they can be, you may have problems with, you know, stress incontinence, urinary dysfunction, and pelvic symptoms. In really severe cases, patients find trouble breathing because their body cannot breathe deep enough to to exchange air. Yeah. And so just even everyday activities, as you've discussed, you know, even things like trying to work out and run, or as we heard in the video, even getting up off the floor can be such a difficulty for some of these patients with this problem. And then what about the psychological effects, you know, the stigma of women still being asked if they're pregnant, you know, months or years after they've delivered their child? I mean, I would imagine that's an issue as well. 
That's correct. So, you know, we see it a lot on the cosmetic side where, you know, women will have children and the muscles just never snap back. It's sort mm -hmm. of that analogy I gave you with the elastic band. And they usually are patients that are in shape, they exercise and they get this bulge and it's not a hernia. And the minute you examine the patient and you see that round belly and bulge, you know, you've sort of made your diagnosis. Mm -hmm. These patients continually get mistaken for being pregnant, maybe out of shape, overweight. Yeah. And they're told to exercise more or do sit-ups. And we know that doesn't work. Very early stages with physical therapy and aerobic exercise and training the muscles may help symptoms. But the stretching out of the muscle and the separation is at that point really a surgical solution. So then once we've established this problem is present and it's not going away, how do you decide who is really a candidate for surgical treatment? Very good question. So we tend not to, you know, judge the patient by the degree of separation, but more of the, the symptom that they have. Ah, yeah. So initially with low back pain, maybe stress incontinence, um, generally we recommend physiotherapy, tightening of the muscles uh, for at least a trial of six months. Hmm. And if that doesn't work, if the symptoms are continual and on exam, they have a true diastasis, not a hernia or something else that maybe contributed their, their symptoms, then they're generally a good candidate for it. Gotcha. And then once surgery is decided upon, what procedure is typically done? Essentially, the diastasis is a separation of muscle and loss of core strength. By definition, separation of the muscle is at least two centimeters or so. In most of the patients that we treat after childbirth, the diastasis is five to eight centimeters. Oh, wow. And that was yeah. the case in the two cases presented in the film. Mm -hmm. The principle of correction is to bring the abdominal wall muscle, the rectus abdominis muscle, to its anatomic location and midline. Mm -hmm. And depending on the degree of the diastasis, the laxity of the abdominal wall, the prior surgeries, it could be done with simple suture application. In some instances, you may need to reinforce that with a double layer of sutures. And in really severe instances, you may need to place a mesh to help reinforce that repair. So just to clarify for our listeners, what you're doing in this procedure is you're taking those two longitudinal muscles that have migrated to the side toward the hip, and you're bringing them back to the midline. You're pulling them back, but you have to stitch them together to keep them there. And then you may have to reinforce it with some overlying mesh, almost like you would in a hernia repair or something like that. That's correct. And there's some variations. Not all patients get the same procedure. You sort of have to customize it to the patient. Sure. In a certain percentage of patients, they have an umbilical hernia, uh, which it's not causing their symptoms. Mm -hmm. But there's some suggestion that says if you repair a hernia without repairing the diastasis, your recurrence of hernia is higher. Ah, yes. Makes perfect sense. So how would a standard tummy tuck differ from a correction of diastasis? Or is there's, one part of the other? There's sort of different pathologies, but they can be addressed with the same procedure. Could you explain then what a typical tummy tuck is? Uh, absolutely. So the diastasis is common among many types of patients. So patients that are morbidly obese, that have lost weight, um, you know, you see it in people that do a lot of manual labor or lift heavy weights. Sometimes it runs in families. If you're predisposed to hernia or stretching of the muscle, you get that. But most commonly, what plastic surgeons will see are women that's had multiple children 
mm-hmm. and they're past their childbearing years and they have this bulge and, and, and symptoms. Mm-hmm. So the advantage there is you can repair the diastasis using an abdominoplasty approach. And the mm-hmm. traditional abdominoplasty is a lower incision that's placed in the underwear line mm-hmm. designed to elevate a flap, remove that excess stretched out skin. And also while the anatomy is exposed, the anterior abdominal wall, you would repair and placate the rectus muscles to bring those two rectus muscles back to their anatomic location. Mm-hmm. There, there's some adjuncts to that where uh, for body contouring, you can incorporate liposuction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may do a pubic lift, maybe mm-hmm. re- remove some of the excess mons tissue. Well, so part of the benefit of tummy tuck is that if you need to bring those muscles back together, certainly you can do that, but you also get to get rid of some of that extra poochy skin that is the bane of the existence of many women after childbirth. And then you're saying with liposuction, you can even refine the contour further, really improving the outcome that they might be left with. I would imagine that would be very exciting for a lot of patients. Yes. And this kind of stems to, you know, kind of melding the reconstructive side and the cosmetic side. You know, the yes. reconstructive side is you're bringing muscles that are displaced together just to restore court function, but you're also taking out extra tissue. You may be enhancing the midline, getting mm-hmm. a more aesthetic appearance, and you may be doing some adjunct skin tightening, liposuction, and, and pelvic surgery. So that's where the art of aesthetic and reconstructive surgery kind of combines. So. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the concept of art because really, as plastic surgeons, we are tasked with being creative in terms of finding a solution for each patient's individual problem. And when you can blend those two concepts, a reconstructive concept and a cosmetic concept, I think that's really when you can produce the best outcome for the patient. So I think that's great. I do want to ask you if you ever find that insurance will cover either a diastasis repair or a tummy tuck? In the clearest sense, insurance will not cover a tummy tuck as the mm-hmm. excess scan is considered cosmetic. In diastasis recti, insurance companies have sort of set criteria for diastasis recti, and they're not that clear. Oh, probably. But if you, <laughs> unfortunately, they're not that clear, but some insurance carriers, if you provide maybe evidence for medical necessity, well, they will cover the diastasis repair, but they won't cover the abdominoplasty. If you can document the symptoms, the patient's seen a physical therapist, they might have seen a urogynecologist to document the, the pelvic symptoms. You can demonstrate the diastasis on imaging, and they fail conservative treatment, which is physical therapy. There's patients that come in that actually are used abdominal binding yeah. just to restore their abdominal core. Some get epidural injections, some see pain specialists. And if you make that case, it may get approved, but that's a very complex issue. Yeah, that's a high threshold. So difficult. Well, shifting gears a little bit, depending upon the extent of the original problem, do you think there is a limit to how much improvement the patient could expect after surgery? Should they expect a perfectly flat abdomen after their surgical procedure? What do you typically tell patients? There's not a one-size-fits-all phenomenon. Each patient's different, and any treatment should be customized to the patient goals. Liposuction is a good adjunct, and a custom plan is usually discussed with every patient. Not all tummy tucks are the same, and it's important to consider for patients to discuss what actually will be done as opposed to a generic procedure called the tummy tuck. 
the goal is a naturally aesthetic looking abdomen, not artificially flat, but mm -hmm. with subtle peaks and valleys to enhance contour. Being flat is not always a guarantee, and there are certain anatomic features that may not correct with abdominoplasty. For example, if a patient had multiple abdominal procedures, sometimes due to scarring or denervation of those muscles that we discussed, mm -hmm. there may be bulges or asymmetries, and those may not be correctable with surgery. Got it. For example, if someone's had multiple C-sections or perhaps an emergency surgery, which is a risk factor for the diastasis, the contour sure. may not be totally flat. Mm -hmm. So the goal is not to be flat, but to look slender, natural, and aesthetic. Yeah, that's wonderful. And then what do you tell your patients about typical downtime after these procedures? What should they expect? When we think about downtime and we discuss this with patients, there's surgery-specific downtime, then there's patient-specific downtime. Mm -hmm. The surgery involves tightening muscles, and there's some sutures there that will be holding the muscles together and removing a good portion of excess skin. Generally, the total recovery is about three months before you would consider going back to normal and doing all the things you would do before surgery. Usually the first two weeks, patients may have some drains, they'll be using compression garments, and they'll have frequent post-op visits. And I generally, with the repair of the muscle and removing the excess skin, we place patients in what's known as this lazy beach chair position, Mm -hmm. where it's almost like they're sitting at a beach chair at the beach where the, the hips are flexed and it takes tension off the abdominal repair yeah. and lets the scars kind of uh, settle in. After Incisions. the two weeks, they gradually uh, stretch out and walk mm -hmm. normally. Mm -hmm. Then there's about six weeks where they can't do any strenuous activity, lifting weights, going on the treadmill to allow enough time for those scars to heal and, and strengthen. And usually three months to um, back to normal as if they didn't, didn't have surgery. Yeah. The patient-specific downtime depends on what they do for work or for fun. Patients that have a desk job can go back in one to two weeks. Patients whose jobs are a little bit more physical, as you'll see, Joy and Erica were, were school teachers and involved some lifting and some of the smaller children. So that would be up to eight to 12 weeks. Got it. Well, are there any potential complications of surgical treatment that you particularly worry about? I mean, there's complications with any surgery, but... Are there any that are very specific to this type of surgery? Yes, um, I would rate complications as minor, major, common, and rare. Minor okay. complications, which are expected, is you may have some small wound healing problems, especially around the umbilicus or um, the lower abdominal incision. That's where most of the tension is. With a traditional abdominoplasty, you have to relocate the umbilicus. If you do have a really bad diastasis or there's an umbilical hernia, small one that's repaired, Sometimes the umbilicus doesn't survive or becomes a little bit dusky. So those are minor complications I would rate, but they're expected. The others are seroma or bleeding, asymmetry. You may need a little touch-up later on. You may have sure. some contour irregularities from liposuction, yeah. infection, and sometimes the skin goes numb and that, that comes back. Mm -hmm. Major complications, as you imagine, you're bringing these muscles together and they, they've been separated for a very long time. So now you're increasing the intra-abdominal pressure because it's almost like you're trying to stuff a suitcase. You're, you know, there's a lot of content in the belly and you're trying to really close it tight without making it too tight. Yeah, and so good those, analogy. <laughs> I learned that from one of our hernia surgeons here. When he discusses hernia, he says it's like trying to stuff a suitcase and close it. That's yeah. sort of the job that you That's have. 
But once you do that, the intra-abdominal pressure is a little bit higher and the blood flow from the veins back to the heart are a little bit lower. Mm -hmm. So the biggest concerns there are uh, getting a clot in your legs or in your lung. We use a certain scale to determine if they need blood thinners post-op. Protocol and, and to kind of protect them. That's great. That's correct. Protects them and we risk stratify them. Yeah. That's so, a rare event anyway, isn't it? The blood clot. In the experienced hands, it's rare because it's, it's sort of addressed even before the surgery. Yeah. Part of our evaluation, we ask for patients if they've had a blood clot, uh, if it runs in the families, have they ever had any bleeding problems? And we recommend early ambulation. They're going to be in that beach chair position, but when they're up, they'll be hunched over. Mm -hmm. But even the same day of surgery, we get them out of bed and they yeah, walk around just great. to minimize stuff great, blood great. clots. Well, you know, is there ever a time when you feel someone is not a candidate for surgery? Have you ever had to tell someone, no, I'm sorry, I can't help you? Or what are your thoughts about that? You know, good patient election is key for the success of these. So with a, a tummy tuck and diastasis repair, it's not a substitute for weight loss. So if yeah. a patient's overweight, yeah. and generally speaking, a, a body mass index greater than 30 is, is sort of a cutoff that we consider patients high risk. Mm -hmm. We will send a patient to a nutritionist, dietitian, or primary care doctor to work on weight loss. After the weight loss, they may be a suitable candidate. Uncontrolled comorbidities high blood pressure, diabetes, heart, liver, or kidney disease, generally will not offer them the surgery. It will, what we call, optimize them to make sure their comorbidities are well controlled. Mm -hmm. If there's a patient who has diastasis, has symptoms, and they're thinking about having another baby, another child, then we would wait. And generally speaking, you want to wait two years after the, the last pregnancy to perform a diastasis repair, just because the tissues are constantly changing and, and readjusting. Great point. And any patient that comes in with lower back pain, urinary symptoms, the problems with core weakness, a bulge, usually we'll have them see a, a physiotherapist for six months just to optimize training core strength before we resort to surgery. Mm -hmm. And that may help with insurance criteria if you can document that the patient has seen a physical therapist, has seen a pain physician, has maybe had injections, or they're wearing a binder just to help improve their core strength that will help. And then patients have unrealistic expectations. There's times where patients bring in photos of what they want to look like and to different body habitus or someone that maybe yeah. not understand the, the concept. So yeah, that's not going to be a success right off the bat. Well, now circling back around to your patients, the sisters, Joy and Erica, you were able to perform successful surgeries for both of them. And I think it's just so cool that they're sisters and they were able to relate to each other in terms of what the other one is going through. So what kind of lifestyle changes occurred for them afterwards and how meaningful was this to them? Yeah, so Joy and Erica are very interesting because I always say patients are different. Every patient's different, but they had a very similar story. So they were sisters and they're both school teachers and they both oh, had yeah, three so children. Different. And they both had years and years of symptoms of mm -hmm. uh, lower back pain, pelvic problems, urinary problems. And they've seen many doctors, many therapists, and were really, really frustrated. And Joy was initially referred to me. And on exam, she had a clear diastasis. Uh, we did the surgery, bring the muscles. We, we did the tummy tuck to take out the skin. And her symptoms improved significantly. Lovely. She was able to exercise, do her daily activities, keep up with her kids. 
And uh, about a year later, I saw another patient. I said, the story sounds familiar. And I asked, how did you hear about me? And uh, it was Erica. And she said, well, you operated on my sister and it oh, worked. I that's, love that. that's why I'm here. Um, so when I initially saw Erica, her sister, Joy's sister, I didn't realize they were related. But yeah, they, if you go back and look at the story and the photos, they're the same. Yeah. And they both did well. The symptoms were better. Um, Eric no longer needed to use an abdominal binder. The symptoms nice. improved. Was not getting epidural injections for, for pain. And it gave them a sense of normalcy to their life. What I learned from that, being a teacher is very demanding. And I think all of us should really support our teachers. Yes, absolutely. And the other is that I think the delay that Eric and Joy had in getting the surgery was, even though they had the symptoms, largely diastasis still is considered really a cosmetic problem. Mm -hmm. So you've had children and you have a bulge and you have these symptoms and the thinking is, well, you had children. That's why everything is, is stretched out, but it's a tough way to live. And we know there's small studies, but they show that, you know, women that get the surgery, they have a better core strength. They have better quality of life and better patient reported outcomes. So mm -hmm. we all feel better. Maybe all their symptoms don't go away hundred percent, but they feel much better. Yeah. And that speaks volumes right there. Well, I'm curious, how about their self-esteem? How did that change after surgery? Yeah, well, I had the privilege of filming at their house for the Aesthetic Society special. And oh, yeah. I think it gave a sense of renewal to, to enjoy life and, and go back and do the things that you couldn't do before. And you didn't have to worry about exercising and fatiguing or keeping up with your kids. I think it brought everything back full circle. Yeah. Well, I certainly imagine their story will inspire many others. Well, gosh, Dr. Silman, you've been such a delight to share some time with us here. I would love to know if you have any final thoughts or message for the listeners about possibilities for help with restoring abdominal contour after pregnancy. Well, thank you very much. My words to anyone that may be listening is, if you know of anyone with symptoms like this, have them see someone experienced in, in dealing with abdominal wall contour and abdominal wall problems. I do think that diastasis is functional. I do think there's some cosmetic issues, but I do think it's a functional entity mm -hmm. and it will help quality of life. Yeah, that's, that's great. Really appreciate that. Well, thank you again and you take care. Thank you very much. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.